John chapter number 21 and uh, kind of hold your finger there, maybe put a piece of paper there. And then I want you to go and uh, flip over to Luke chapter 5. We'll be reading from both of these verses this morning. John 21 and then Luke 5. We'll start in Luke 5. But before we get started, I want to do this. If you filled out one of those first-time attender prayer cards, which I hope you did. If this is your first time, we're glad you're here. If you filled one of them out, I want you just to hold that thing up right where you are real high. We've got people that are going to run and come get those. Do we have any for the first time right here on my left? God bless you. Thank you for coming. Anybody else? Hold it up real high and they'll take care of you. Let's give the Lord a hand for all these that are here. Amen. It has been a good day in the Lord's house. I'm as excited as I can be to, uh, to be just back at Temple, basically. Uh, we've been gone for a couple weeks and, and uh, missed church several of those services just because of the work that we were doing demanded it. And I did get to preach a couple times while I was gone, but there's no place like home. Say amen right there. I want you to look in uh, Luke 5 first and just remain standing for just a moment while we while we read in Luke 5, it is, uh, this is the story of how Christ sat down in Peter's fishing boat and he taught because there were so many people around. He sat down in the boat and he taught a lesson out of this boat. And then in verse 4, he tells Peter to launch out into the deep for a great draught of fishes. I want to look at this story. And then we're going to go to John 21 and look at one that's very similar to this one. The Bible says in Luke 5, verse 4, Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught, or for a, a great catch of fish. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Now I want you to go over where you've got your place held in John chapter 21. This is the same players in the game, the same people. But it's a much different time. It's a much different scene. This is after the Lord has been crucified and buried and risen from the dead. And the Lord shows up. This is the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after his resurrection. The first time he found them friendless. They were in the upper room. They were scared to death. They were fearful. They thought and they felt as though they'd lost their very best friend in Jesus. Then the second time that he showed himself to the disciples after his resurrection, he found that they were not only friendless, but they were faithless. At least Thomas was. You remember the story where Thomas said, hey, unless I see the nail prints, I'm not going to believe. But here, what I'm going to read in just a moment is the third time he showed himself to his disciples after, in bodily form, after he was uh, raised from the dead, and here he finds them not friendless and not faithless, but fishless. 
They had taken nothing again. The Bible says in verse, let's see, in verse 3 of John 21, Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. He's in confusion. No doubt he's in disappointment. He says, I go a fishing. He's in a waiting period in his life. Anybody ever been there? So he says, they say unto him, we also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And that night, notice this, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. I want to pray, and then I want to draw some similarities out of these two stories that are very similar, but they're different stories. And I want to talk to you this morning about the ministry of nothing. Most of us think that, that God is only at work when we have plenty. The world, the lost world for sure thinks that. But this morning we're going to see that God's at work the best when we're down to nothing. Let's pray. Father, I love you. And once again, I ask you, Lord, for your touch, for your help, for your blessing. And Lord, I confess before you and these people that I'm standing in a place that I, that I can't do it alone. I need the help of God and the touch of the Lord. So Lord, would you touch me this morning that I can preach your word? And would you bless these that are here that they would receive what God has for them? I thank you and I love you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing. You can have a seat. Uh, and I want to say thank you to the church also for helping um, my family and Tim and Adrian Barbie and the rest of our ministry team at Unsheltered International. Uh, you helped us a couple weeks ago by uh, giving a great offering and several of you gave individually uh, toward our Oklahoma Tornado Relief Fund and you, because of your generous giving and your help, we uh, the storm hit more Oklahoma on May the 20th and we were able to serve our first meal to people without power and people whose homes have been destroyed on the evening of the 23rd. And God just blessed that. And the whole time we were there, it was in the forefront of our mind that we have a church family that loves us, that prays for us, and is active in being a great part of, of the ministry God has given us. So I want to say thank you from all of us and from everybody in Oklahoma, there were literally dozens and dozens of people that said, tell whoever gave uh, to help you get out here. We said thank you. And I want to, by way of introduction for this message, tell you a couple of uh, stories that, that were relayed to us while we were on the ground there in Moore, Oklahoma. My wife April met a lady named Kathy, and her and her husband, uh, she met them in, at the church in the distribution center. They were getting some goods and April was helping them and they told her that in they'd lived there for over 16 years 
and had never fled from a tornado. They'd never even really taken shelter, even though a monster tornado had hit there in the 90s. It didn't hit their house. And, and they said that usually what they do when there's storms and tornadoes, they said they basically watch the news and watch what the weatherman says and, and just take it with a grain of salt. She told April, though, she said on May the 20th, it was much different. It was a different feeling. She said uh, when the report started coming and, and it looked like it was coming at, at, at the city of Moore, that they just had that gut feeling that maybe they should pack up and, and get out of town for a little while. So they didn't take much. They just took their purse and wallet and got in the car. They figured that it would be okay, but they figured they'd leave anyway, and they left. And they returned to their home 30 minutes after the tornado struck, only to find their entire home, every wall, everything in their home was wiped right off of their foundation along with the bulk of the neighborhood that they lived in. She said that we praise the Lord that we got out. She said, but we have nothing left except our car and the clothes on our backs. And April ministered and prayed with them and, and spoke with them and tried to encourage them the best that she could. Another lady that April, uh, or a man that April helped in the distribution cent, uh, center, told her, with, uh, and as he told her this, April said her, his hands were just shaking as he recalled. He was at work, but his wife and teenage son was at home. And uh, when, they, when they realized that the, the tornado sirens went off and it could be bad, they got in their bathtub together and pulled a mattress over them. And when everything was said and done and the wind uh, seemed to stop blowing, they pushed the mattress off of them and found the, the one wall in their home that was left standing was the one their bathtub that they were in was attached to. No roof, no exterior walls, no interior walls, everything gone except the bathtub and the wall that, they were, uh, that was attached to the bathtub. He told April, we have nothing left. And we were there in that distribution center and just trying to give people the basic necessities. And that church, by the way, is set up to do that for months and months and months in that community. And then one day, I, I got to go out into the field and serve meals. We were cooking them on, on site, and then volunteers would take them out into the, to the field. And we were able to cook and serve over, I think, 7,557 hot meals. Adrian and Tim cooked the bulk of them. They did awesome. They did awesome. Praise the Lord. But I got to go deliver one day in this neighborhood and, and we, were, we would just basically drive down the roads in the, in the hard hit areas and when people were out working, we'd ask them if they'd had lunch or had dinner and then uh, meet their needs. And I asked this, uh, saw this uh, a couple, a man, a woman, and then a, another lady in this yard and I stopped and got out and met them and they had not eaten lunch and they were so grateful for the great meal. And for the cold waters and Powerades we gave them, we also gave them work gloves and totes and things. And the lady that lived there, her name was Laura. Her dad, Stan, was helping clean up and her mom was helping clean up. Their house was hit so bad, it was the walls were still there, but three quarters of the roof was gone. On what happened, the first tornado that hit on the 20th, 
it, uh, they were huddled down in one corner and the entire roof except for that section, uh, that section stayed where they were. The rest of the roof was gone. Then the next Friday when the tornadoes came through, the rest of their roof was taken away. The rain hit the house. Everything was uh, destroyed. Nothing was salvageable except for a few personal belongings. And so we gave them totes and they picked up the stuff they could salvage and put it in the totes. And we had prayer with them right there in their yard. And they were grateful for the help. Uh, but basically they said, this is what we have left. It's nothing. And in our story that we read today, in both of these accounts, we find that the disciples also had a time where they experienced not great success and not plenty, but they experienced nothing. Now... This week, anyway, our homes didn't get blown away by tornadoes. Some of you may have lost property, and I know, I know some did on the 27th of 2011, but what I found out is nothing doesn't have to mean all of our worldly goods are gone. We all, as we walk through life, experience times where maybe it's financially, we don't have what we think we should have. Or maybe it's spiritual. Maybe we go through a dry spell. Boy, I know that I'm prone to have that happen to me. And where I look up to God and I think, God, where are you? It seems as though though I, I can't hear your voice. It seems as though I'm in a time of nothing. But can I encourage you today and say this? When we are down to nothing... Nine times out of ten, God is up to something. And the Lord does great things when we think great things will never happen. And I want to talk to you about that this morning. The, uh, out of the nothingness that these disciples experienced, God took them, I think, and allowed them to visit three distinct places because of their nothing. And I think we can identify with them. I want to give you these places and let's ask God to see how they identify with our lives. The first place that I think uh, that the disciples visited when they had caught nothing was the place of discouragement. And I tell you this, uh, nothing will do that to you. You know, when, when, when you think it should be one way, but then reality sets in and you soon learn it, it's not that way at all. And what I thought was going to be there just didn't come through. It doesn't take long for discouragement to sit in. In Luke chapter 5 and verse 5, Jesus, or in verse 4, Jesus said, and we, these are the verses we read, Jesus said, hey Simon, launch out in the, into the deep for a great drop, a great catch. And then Simon says this, he says, Master, he said, we've toiled all the night and caught nothing. Now, I don't think he had a big smile on his face when he said that. I don't think he was like, yippee, we just got through washing the nets, let's get them dirty again, boys. No, he had to have been exhausted all night. The, these guys were professionals. These guys knew what they were doing. As a matter of fact, I think that, that they were discouraged because their expectations had failed them. 
There's no doubt that they expected to catch what they needed. There's no doubt that they knew what to do. There's no doubt that they knew where to fish and how to fish and what, what kind of fish they would catch. But that night, they caught nothing. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt like it just ain't, it's not what I expected? It's not playing out like I thought it should or like I thought it would? Joseph, uh, in, in, in the book of Genesis, I believe Joseph experienced great discouragement because his dreams, at least initially, they, didn't, they were not fulfilled like he thought they would be fulfilled. He found himself in the pit and in the prison, places of nothingness. Elijah called down fire from heaven and God did great and mighty things through him. And then the very next thing you see Elijah doing is fleeing from his, uh, for his life because of wicked Jezebel. He's so discouraged that he wants to die. He was empty. He was afraid. He felt alone. And he thought that he had nothing. Then in the New Testament, you see John the Baptist. He's the one that was called the forerunner of the Lord Jesus. He's the one that preached and said, Prepare ye the way of the Lord and make the paths straight. He's the one that was baptizing in the river Jordan. And he looked up and he saw Jesus. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God, of the one of whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose. I mean, this was the man, John the Baptist. And then he finds himself imprisoned for the sake of the Lord. And he found himself, his expectations, he had nothing. And he, would, he experienced discouragement. Let me ask you this. Have you been there? Boy, I have. I think they were discouraged because their expectations failed them and because their expertise failed them. They had to have been saying to themselves, we're fishermen. You're a carpenter. We know the, we know the, the sea. You know the shop. They had to have thought, if we couldn't catch them at night in the shallows where they're supposed to be, how in the world are we going to catch them in the heat of the day in the deep where fish don't even go? Hey, have you ever thought about this? There's two miracles in, in, in these verses. Uh, we think about, oh, it's a miracle that when Jesus said, cast your net on the right side, and boy, they found all them fish. I believe it's a miracle that Jesus held them fish away from those nets in the first place. And so you know what that shows me? Sometimes when I'm going through my times of, uh, of despair and discouragement and nothing, it might just be the hand of the Lord holding things back so that he can get ready to pour into me. Say amen right there. I remember, I remember one, of, one of me and my family's times of nothing is when we moved over here from Augusta, Georgia in May of 09, bought a house, life was good. We lived out at Battleground for, for about a year, got a wild hair to sell our house, and moved to a free house that April's grandma owned in North Carolina. And our plan was to, to live rent-free, buy a motorhome, and travel and preach and minister. And that plan worked out great. We sold our house in 21 days, 
and moved to Old Fort, North Carolina. Was there three months. We bought us a motor home and was traveling. I mean, it was, it was going good. We was down in Brunswick, Georgia in a meeting and three people got saved and we was preaching and ministering. And, I mean, life was good. And we was sitting in that camper one night and we got a phone call from April's mom. April's mom said, I didn't want to tell you all this, but your mamma wants her house back. I thought, Mamma can't have her house back. We done sold our house, had a yard sale, and I told him in the first service, we had a yard sale out here. We sold more stuff on Friday night while we was putting it out than we did on Saturday morning at the yard sale, which I don't know why that is. We sold most of what we had. I mean, we put everything we had in this, and now it's just snatched away. No, it wasn't really nobody's fault. It was just, it just happened. So there we are, forced with another move, one we didn't want. So I called Preacher Malcolm. I said, hey, hey, old buddy, old pal. Uh, I said, you know the parking lot out behind the church? Can I move into there in my RV? And he said, oh, what have you gone and done? And I said, man, I don't know why it happened. And he's always right, and uh, at least most of the time, and that just makes me mad. Does that do that to y'all? He's like, I kind of tried to tell you. And I'm like, I don't need to hear that. Just can I come home? And so we moved back, parked our camper out back, stayed there for three or four months. Then God blessed us with a half-off price in the Coleman campground. Thank you, Mr. Hale. Amen. And we lived out there for several months, nine months total. And that was a nice camper, but... But let me say this, when you live with, with two children and a dog in a camper, it, it just gets smaller by the week. And it ain't nothing like having a house. And so we sat there and we're like, Lord, what, what's going on? We had a great house in Battleground, but you told us to sold it or sell it. At least we thought you did. Then we had a better place in Old Fort for free. And then it got took away. And now here we are, elbow to elbow. What? I mean, one day I came home and April was laying in the floor in the motorhome, crying out to God. I mean, begging God. I mean, I don't know how long she'd been there praying, but when I walked in, she prayed another 15 minutes, crying out to God. And she ended her prayer on her face by saying, God, but whatever you want to do, I'm, I'm just surrendered to whatever you want to do. And man, I thought, I wish I had faith like that. She got up and we talked about it. It wasn't. God took care of the housing situation, by the way. He worked in a big way in that. But it wasn't just a few weeks later, sitting in the, in, in, in the living room of that camper in the campground with Tim and Adrian Barbie, that the dream and the vision for Unsheltered International was born. Here we are, no place to live except the camper. Uh, here we are, all of our hopes were shattered, experiencing nothing, and out of nothing, God birthed a ministry that over two years later would be in different countries all across the United States and blessing all kinds of people. And we thought it was over and out. I thought, Lord, what have I done? 
And I'm sure that nine, you know, most of it was, was probably me missing God's will. But let me say this, even when we miss the will of God and we experience times of nothing, can I say that God is faithful to his children. And so they experience this time of discouragement. Can I ask you this question? Have you ever been in that place? Are you there now? Have you thought it was going to be one way only to find out it was another? There's a second place that their nothingness took them. And that is to the place of dependency. And by the way, that's a great place to wind up. You see, if I have to go through a time in my life that I hate and I despise, that hurts a little or hurts a lot, if it'll get me to the place where I look up to God and say, Lord, this is where I should have been all along, then so be it. And the disciples, I think they came to this place. Matter of fact, I know they did. They came to a place where they had to depend upon the Lord. The Bible says in Luke 5, in verse 8, after they had filled both ships with, with fish, the Bible says in verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, saw what? His nothingness turned to something. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. There's two main ingredients to depending upon God. Now, I'm sure there's more, but there's two that God kind of showed me out of these verses. The first one is humility, and the second one is obedience. You remember the story in the Bible about the woman that had the issue of blood? I think for 12 years, this woman grew worse. The Bible says she was nothing the better. Matter of fact, the Bible says that she'd been to all kinds of physicians and she spent all that she had, but she didn't get better, she got worse. And then there was a day when Jesus was near, when there was great crowds of people around him. And she saw the Lord and I guess she figured the, the, the doctors didn't work. The medicine didn't work. I have no more funds. There's nothing to lose. I must get to Jesus. And that's the passage of scripture where it says that she touched the hem of his garment and immediately he knew that virtue had gone out of him and she was made whole. Have you ever thought about that story in this light? With all those people, she had to have humbled herself. To do what it took. Even though there was crowds. Even though there was others. She humbled herself and got to the Lord. What about blind Bartimaeus? He had, you talk about nothing. He had no sight. Now check this out. He never saw a miracle that Jesus did. Yet he heard that he was passing by. <laughs> Maybe this morning somebody in here has heard he's passing by. And so blind Bartimaeus, 
He, he, he knew that Christ could help him. He sensed it in his spirit. And so he called out to the Lord. And he called out to the Lord. And the crowd said, hold that peace, man. Chill out. He's busy. But Bartimaeus he said, look, it doesn't matter. I don't care if he's busy. I don't care what you say. I don't care about my pride. I don't care how this looks. I need to get to Jesus. And all through the Bible, you can see the one that humbled himself got what he needed from God. You remember the Pharisee and the sinner? They went to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee said, I thank thee, O God, that I'm not like this sinful man. I fast twice in the week. I do all this and I do all that. Well, the Bible said that that sinner, the Bible said he smote his breast. He said, oh, Lord, I'm a sinful man. And praise God, the Bible says he went down to his house justified rather than the other. Why? Because God brought him to a place where he humbled himself. In Luke 5, verse 5, their humility turned to obedience. Even though Peter was discouraged, he said, look, we've toiled all the night. We've taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, we'll let down the nets. I don't think he had a good attitude about it. But aren't you glad that even though our attitude ain't always straight, obedience, God will bless he knows our frame. He knows how weak we are. He knows how difficult it is. And he's waiting for you and I to come to a place where we say, nevertheless. Basically, what, he, what he's saying was, I'll do it your way. And isn't it funny how the Lord has to empty us out before he can fill us up? Let me ask you this. Is God leading you into a place where you have Him and only Him to depend on? Will you fully trust Him? You say, I have no idea why I'm going through this. Maybe God is working all things together for the good. And if you're like me, maybe God knows you're just hard-headed enough not to listen until you have to. Amen. Now I said if you're like me. So, I believe that they were led to the place of discouragement. I believe they were led to the place of dependency. But then, and probably greatest, I think they were led to the place of discovery. And I want you to remember, all this came out of nothing. Or out of failure. All this came out of what seemed to be no blessing. The Bible tells us that their nothing allowed them to discover three basic things. Let me give them to you. Number one, I think they discovered their limitations. I have to believe that when both of these instances were over, when they didn't catch nothing, then God showed up and they caught what they needed. I have to believe that when it got quiet, when it got still, maybe when old Peter got alone and when John the Beloved got alone, I think maybe they might have realized, hmm, 
it wasn't me all these many years that caught these fish after all. <laughs> Has God ever done something for you? And in that miracle or in that great provision, he not only met your need and showed you that he's all you need, but he also let you know that it was him all along. You see, there must have been a day when Peter, he knew he was an expert. He knew he was a pro. But then God, get, listen, something about when God gets a hold of a person, that arrogance seems to leave, that pride seems to leave, and you can get somebody who's the very best in their field, and they'll say things like this. Well, if the Lord will help me, we'll do what we can. Don't you love people like that? That's because God has got a hold of them and showed them their human limitations and the limitations that, that humanity has on them. And God's shown them if anything's going to happen, it's going to happen because of the Lord. Let me say this. There's other limitations we have, though. The Bible says, I'm going I'm to I'm quote you the exact verses that Malcolm Carter Sr. quoted me sitting in the front seat of his car. On August the 1st, 1994, when I got saved. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You see, you may be here today and all your ducks are in a row. And as a matter of fact, they're quacking really good. Everything's going well in life. Your bank account's good. Your home's good. Your yard's even mowed. Say amen. Which, by the way, I don't even own a lawnmower, but I got home last night and somebody had mowed my yard for me. Say amen. Thank you, Paul Sanford. He mowed the yard. But you may think, man, everything's good with me. I come to church just to, you know, socialize. But my, oh my. What you don't realize is there's going to come a time of nothing in your life. And God is going to show you that he can take away those possessions quicker than he gave them. And he's going to show you that spiritually speaking, we have all sinned. Come short of the glory of God. We're limited. We can't get to heaven without the Lord. So they discovered their limitations, but they discovered their Lord. I like what it says in John 21 and verse 7. John looked out and he realized who was there on the shore. He said, it is the Lord. It, it is the Lord. And that's when Peter got all excited. He put his fisher's coat on and just jumped, slam out the boat. I like them kind of people. Amen. I can handle them kind. It's the kind that sit back and say, I don't know. That don't really look like him to me. That's the kind that get under my skin. But they recognized him. They discovered it's the Lord. You know, Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I'll never forget the day when I saw how limited I was and I could not reach up to God on my own. Then I saw how great God was. How he was reaching way down to me. And even though I saw my limitations, I discovered my Lord. And praise God, that led me to discovering my life. And if you'll read these verses good, that's what happened to the disciples. In chapter 5 of Luke, the last two verses in this context, verse 10 and 11... It says that Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not. 
from henceforth thou shalt catch men. In other words, Simon, this is a warm-up exercise. I'm showing you with tadpoles what you're fixing to do with men. He says, and when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. So they discovered their limitations. They discovered their Lord. But man, they discovered their life. They found out there's more to life than rod and reels. There's more to life than fishing boats. There's more to life than nets. There's more to life than getting up in the morning and going to the job and making a paycheck and going to bed and getting up in the morning and making a paycheck and going to bed and doing vacation once a year. They discovered there's a reason to live. And I want to remind you, they discovered that because they had a great big gap in their live well. They had nothing. You see, somebody's here this, this evening and, and you're thinking, or this morning you're thinking, you know, this stinks. I'm discouraged. But what you may not see is the mighty hand of God hovering over your situation. And boy, if you could just know what God knows. If I could just know what God knows. You know, in the John 21 story, it says they were out at sea and they looked on the land and they saw somebody, but they didn't recognize him. What is discouragement, preacher? It's when you can't recognize Jesus in the storm or Jesus in the problem. And so they didn't recognize that he was there all along. You see, he was there in their nothing. He was there in their discouragement. He was there in their distress. They didn't even realize that when the tomb was empty, when there was nothing else there but grave clothes, that's when Jesus was doing his very best work. When it was empty, listen, the, it was, the best work was not when he occupied the tomb. The best work was when there was nothing left in the tomb. By the way, we have salvation full and free today because there was nothing left in the tomb. Say amen. I wonder today, you realize that there can be no healing without sickness? There can be no provision without need? There can be no resurrection without death? And you cannot get saved until you realize you're lost. And oh my goodness... Out of nothing, God does some of the greatest, greatest work. I'm through and done. Let's all stand to our feet if you would. And I want every head bowed and every eye closed. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And I want to just ask the Lord to work in a great way, in a great way while the musicians are getting ready. I want you to examine your heart this morning. I know there's somebody here and, and that somebody's saying, you know what, I'm going through a dry spell and I don't understand why. I don't claim to have the answers, but I do know this. A lot of times the Lord will turn on the faucet when it's dry. 
There's a good chance if you'll get to this altar and ask him to, there's a real good chance he'll help you this morning. Heads bowed and eyes closed. There might be somebody here say, Brother Sharp, I don't have nothing. I'm not even saved. I don't think I'm a Christian. If I died today, I don't know if I would go to heaven or, or if I would go to hell. Can I say that the Lord is here for you? As a matter of fact, I want to ask you this simple question. If you died today, God forbid, but if you did, are you 100% sure that you would go to heaven? Or would there be some doubt? Did you know that you can know for sure about your relationship with the Lord? Say, preacher, I'm not sure, but I want you to pray for me. I'd like to do that right now. I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to call your name because I don't know it. But I'm going to pray for you. I wonder if you'd lift that hand and say, preacher, pray for me. I'm not saved. I need the help of God. I see several hands. God bless you. God bless you. You can put them down. I wonder anybody will say, preacher, just pray for me. I'm experiencing a great time of nothing. I don't understand it. I don't know why. God bless you. God bless you. Hands everywhere. Hands everywhere. You can put them down. I'm going to take a moment right now and pray for you. But as I pray, I wonder. If you were in that first group and you say, you know, I'm just, I don't have my salvation settled. I got a lot of questions. I want to ask you. Why don't you put some action to your faith this morning? We've got men and ladies scattered across this altar. If you're a lady, you can walk right down this aisle and talk to a lady. She can pray with you. If you're a gentleman, you can walk right down this aisle and talk to a gentleman. He can take his Bible and show you how to be saved. I wonder if you raised your hand and said, I'm just not sure about my eternal home. I wonder this morning, would you come? I'm fixing to pray. And while I pray for you, I wonder if you would come. Right now is the time. Father in heaven, I'm just praying for everybody that lifted their hand and said that they don't know the Lord. I pray, God, you grant great faith. I pray, God, you give people's feet the ability to move and their heart, let it be in tune with God. Lord, please do great things this morning. And then, Lord, there was people that said, you know, I'm saved, but I don't know what God's up to. Lord, I pray you touch them. And I want to ask you right now, would you find your place in the altar? Talk it out with God. While they're playing softly, just pile up in this altar and pray and talk this thing out with God. And let the Lord help you. Father, I pray you'd minister to everybody that's come. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for the grace of God. I pray, Lord, you do what you do best. Save souls and give hope. Give energy. Give life. Father, we're going to thank you. I'm going to ask Jalen to get ready to sing. You come. If you need help from the Lord, you come. Take advantage of this time while the Lord is near.
Let's give the Lord a hand for what he's doing. Amen. Amen. I want to give God a chance to help everybody that needs it. Let's go ahead and have the ushers. You can go ahead and ready yourselves, though. While they come, I want to tell you about two awesome things. Because of the Faith in Action campaign, the preacher wanted me to let you know that they were able to finalize the deal on this land right behind the church back here and start to work on it. Isn't that awesome? Have you noticed how fast things move around this place? I think Dustin was at the bank, and when he signed the papers, I think they had a walkie-talkie and radioed somebody with a backhoe to let the water out of that pond. I don't know. But it's fast, and I, I'm glad that, that stuff is happening, and, and our, our gifts are, are well spent, and you can see it in action. Also, the preacher wanted me to say there's a, the missions department's having a fishing tournament. That's got to be good right there. I hope they catch something. Let me just say that. Uh, but they need sponsors for that. And you can, uh, right out here at 411, you can stop by. They're looking for businesses or businessmen or women or whatever to sponsor that, so... You can get more information out here. And then the Depression Conference is just two weeks away with Dr. Craig Edwards. I think there's invite cards out here in the foyer. Get some of them. Bring family. Bring friends. It's going to be awesome. Brother Edwards is a, a friend of my family's and one of the greatest preachers in the country. Great guy. Uh, you say, somebody, I just hear somebody now, well, I don't have no problem with that. Well, you don't know what tomorrow, tomorrow holds, number one. And number two, why don't you come so you can arm yourself to help somebody else? And so be a part of that and take part of that. And it will absolutely bless your heart. Amen? And that will be worth coming to. And I want to say thank God for the altar workers, for the ushers, for the choir, for the musicians. Uh, this place, it, it absolutely would not run without everybody working. So praise God. It's just awesome for me to see it. And I'm happy to announce uh, Bobby McDuffie gave his heart to the Lord. Right here. Amen. Praise God. Let's see. Is this Tyrone? Rededicating your life to the Lord? 
Praise God. Tyrone Haynes. Amen. That's just as good. Amen. And I'm sure there's other decisions that, that only the Lord knows about. Let's pray and ask God's blessing on the offering and you give as unto the Lord. All right, Father, we love you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for uh, Bobby giving his heart to the Lord. Thank you for Tyrone uh, making things right with the Lord. And I just pray, God, you bless. Bless this offering now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. There's a happy land.